Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. This week, we reflect on episodes of the past year with a compilation of some of the show's memorable segments on women in leadership starting with Ms. Puti Machaniele, who is the executive chairperson of Sigma Capital. She is known as a trailblazer in a predominantly male-dominated industry, and for over 10 years she held the position of CEO at Shinduka Group, one of the leading South African investment holding companies. She has received several accolades, including Forbes African 2014 Businesswoman of the Year, in 2011, she was named as one of Forbes' 20 youngest power women in Africa. In 2008, the Wall Street Journal named her as one of the top 50 women in the world to watch. And in 2007, she was selected by the World Economic Forum as a global young leader. We pick up on our conversation regarding gender equality. In the environment that you've come from, which is male-dominated, but we start to see that there is transformation taking place. Yeah. Nonetheless, gender equality is becoming more and more of a global focus, and there yeah. have been a number of challenges. There have also been successes, particularly in the domain of women's legal rights. What areas do you think still need attention with respect to women? I think, <laughs> I actually think that the whole area needs attention. Actually, you know, my view is that we, we seem to have regressed. You know, um, there was a time when, you know, I know that the Business Women's Association comes up with a census every year where they'll talk about the number of women who are in uh, different executive positions, women who are CEOs and all of that. I, mean, I know, know, but that census, yeah. every time I see it, those numbers are just not moving. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely, you know. And I really, I honestly believe that we need, you know, we, we, we need to come, you know, we need to do something that will create the wake-up call that's required in corporate South Africa because we just seem to have gone backwards insofar as, as women are concerned. I mean, when I think of listed organizations and I think of women who are CEOs of those organizations, you know, I can actually only think of one in the form of APSA, and, and, and that's uh, Maria Ramos. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, Mickey Newton-King, who's at the JSE. But, I mean, you know, obviously that's, that's more of a regulatory type of organization. Um, it's not a, a you know, um, it, 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 it's not necessarily, a, you know, um, a listed organization as such. So it's, but it's, you know, we, we are seeing this drop in, in the number of women in CEO positions. Um, and, you know, whilst you can have women chairing boards, I honestly don't believe that to chair a board um, or to be on the board of an organization is in any way um, something that can be indicative of the executive position of women in those organizations. Um, you know, I think it is important to have women who are filling um, executive roles in, in the organization and also to have more women in the CEO role. You know, and, and when you take into account the fact that 
we have a significant number of women who are graduating from universities, the question becomes, well, what happens to them? Where are they? Why is it that we're not seeing these women coming up into these positions? And, you know, I've had a number of conversations with different women, um, and particularly also just given um, the amount of, you know, um, significant amount of violence towards women um, that we have seen being reported in the media. Um, I've spoken to other women leaders around, you know, what I see as regression, um, around, you know, the, the importance of women playing leadership roles um, in business, you know. And, and I say business because that's where I am. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's something that really needs our attention and, and we really need to play more of a focus on it so that the young women of today can see that they have the capability and, and that the fact that you are a woman and are somebody that, you know, will have children and become a wife and all of that, that should not stand in the way of you also being a leader in the work that you do. Um, and, and so really I believe that it's something that requires significant attention. There was a time a few years ago when there was a lot of attention, particularly from the public sector, uh, with regards to, you know, having senior women in organizations. Um, but it, it seems to, to have really regressed, particularly in, in the private sector. And the private sector has never been a leader of, of the, um, the significant empowerment, the real empowerment of women. It hasn't. And, and the empowerment of women, we have to see leadership. Yeah. Private sector, you're 100% right, it hasn't. But yet yeah. that is our economic generator. We have got to have businesses. We have got to have people contributing meaningfully in society and for women Absolutely. to move ahead. And in the, in the public space, yes, I think we're doing very well, and I must say I'm proud of our government for yeah. achieving yeah. what it has at the moment, yeah. 42% yeah. representation in Parliament. But yeah. perhaps it goes back to the legislation part. We had the yeah. Women Empowerment and Gender Equality Bill, which was went through motions, but unfortunately it lapsed. And the whole premise of that was about being able to achieve 50-50 decision-making parity of women across the board, whether it was in the public yeah. space or private space. Perhaps right. something like that needs to be reignited. Absolutely. I, I, I really... Honestly, believe that we need to have that reignited because somehow it seems to have just slipped. And and if we are not the ones who are pushing for it, we cannot expect the men to be the ones that are driving it. We cannot. So we need we need to drive and make sure that you know this becomes something that is seen as as an important part of leadership again. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, gender quotas are regarded as controversial. They're not universally accepted. And yeah. when I have conversations with the likes of Dr. Damini Zuma or Geraldine Fraser Moleketi, they've both yeah. argued that it's a necessity of having those quotas in place and, to promote yeah. equality and then increase the ratio of women in decision-making roles. Absolutely. What's, Absolutely. what's your view to help drive behavioral change on quotas? I, I think that that's that, that, in fact, it seems to be the only way because, you know, when you look at black economic empowerment, you wouldn't have been able to see any black economic empowerment in the private sector without the legislation. 
And so I, I really believe that having the legislation there does help in terms of making sure that organizations are required to comply with that. Because it, it, it appears as if if you wait on organizations to do it themselves, it doesn't happen. And so I would most definitely be supportive of legislation that says that organizations are required to, to, to have, you know, a certain number. I mean, we have legislation now that does indicate, you know, uh, that we need to have a certain percentage of women in management positions and executive management. But I think we need, we, we need actually a, a lot more stronger legislation that people can't actually move around because, you know, so that we can have this being complied with. We absolutely need it. And what about companies taking it upon themselves? The legislation on a national level is one thing where you can yes. have punitive effects if you are non-compliant. But perhaps yes. companies should create their own sort of corporate governance in terms of being able to contribute to their quotas on what they're going to strive for as being responsible citizens and driving women's empowerment. So companies having their own corporate governance and setting their own own gender targets and having a, a gender agenda within their environments. But, but, if, but if that's, if, if we were, and, and I think I, I agree, I think that would be the better solution um, because then you have organizations driving it themselves as opposed to having a regulatory approach where they are required to do it because that is the regulation. But the reality is that, you know, we haven't seen any change we haven't seen any change for the better in terms of, of women appearing as leaders. We haven't seen, you know, I would have thought that by now, 2017, that, it, 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 that we would hardly even need to have this discussion any longer. But the fact that we still have to have this discussion and we see the numbers not moving forward is indicative, is indicative of the fact that we, you know, we need more of a focus on this area. Um, and, and, and so from that perspective, I would say that a legislative approach is important. So one, we would look at legislation, and yes. because that seems to be the only way to get people to, to respond and change behavior, unfortunately. Right, yeah. Given your experience in this environment, and actually given your experience in the corporate environment, what else yes. do you think we need? I think that perhaps if we had, you know, some something that, you know, that indicates um, the success of those organizations which are taking the leadership of women seriously. Um, and, and, and so that people can actually see that this is not something that they're required to comply with, but actually it does have benefits. Um, so that those organizations which have women um, as leaders in the organization are celebrated. And, and some of, you know, the positive aspects of having women leaders are also, you know, celebrated nationally. Um, I think that perhaps then it might be something that is seen as, you know, um, an, an, you know an area that companies, you know, would want to associate themselves with. And another area that I think is important, so we've looked at almost as a, as a macro level on companies and their benefits, 
But I think mentorship is incredibly yeah. important because you're helping groom individuals up so Absolutely. that they know what's what to expect, how to navigate these uncharted territories. I, th- I think it is absolutely critical, and you know. And I often say when I go to corporations that, you know, you you don't have to be a director, a senior manager, or even a manager to to be a good mentor. You know, you just need to be someone who is willing to spend a bit of time with a young person, and and understand what they're going through, and and help them in the issues that they face. Um, and if it's not from your own experience, it can be from things that perhaps you have read. Um, and sometimes it can also be from colleagues that may know better. Um, but for us to provide that support to young people so that they can be successful as leaders. And this is not something that we do for them. We're actually doing it for ourselves so that as older people, we can live in an even better, much better South Africa than we live in today. That was Ms. Putti Machaniele, the Executive Chairperson of Sigma Capital. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Joining us now is Professor Penelope Andrews, who is the Dean of the Faculty of Law at the University of Cape Town. Professor Andrews began her teaching career more than two decades ago at La Trove University in Melbourne, Australia. She has been tenured at four law schools, one in Australia and three in the USA. And she has served on significant law school committees and the boards of public interest legal organizations as well as on business councils. She has been a member of and has chaired several accreditation site teams for the American Bar Association section on legal education and admissions to the bar. She is also a member of the New York State Bar Association and the American Bar Association. Additionally, Professor Andrews has published four books and more than 50 articles and book chapters focusing on international human rights law, comparative constitutional law, gender and racial equality, and the judiciary. Our conversation focuses on gender equality and female leadership and includes Professor Andrews' views of what we ought to be doing to improve on these areas. In South Africa, we see an increasing amount of women, and I think it's just a matter of time. In fact, it's going to be pretty, pretty soon. Women will outnumber men um, in, in the student body, but in the law faculty here at the University of Cape Town, we have a, a larger number of female lecturers than male. So, you know, the, the 50-50, I think, needs to, we need to look at the places where there's still the glass, what we call the glass ceiling. We need to look at institutions where women, where there are impediments to women's advancements and then really look at those impediments to see how we can change those structures, those cultures, those attitudes and so on. So for example, one area in which women are not well representative is in partnerships in 
um, uh, law firms, and particularly the so-called Big Five, women are not represented in the boards of companies as CEOs of companies. So we can see that there are many, many places where women are not represented. I would say that women are not re represented much in law enforcement, not in the same numbers. Um, and there are some professions where women clearly are outnumbered. So the question is, what are we doing to ensure that um, women can advance in those areas. Then the second thing is we have to look at not just women who are professionals or have university education or even are educated. What are the impediments to uh, uh, helping poor women and women who really are economically marginalized to be able to advance and be able to develop the skills, get education. You know, what are the living conditions? Are they secure? Are they safe? All these questions need to be addressed because I think that even though women are outnumbering men in terms of numbers, we still haven't seen women um, as major actors in the major institutions of the society. So we need to shift that. And I think there are many, many impediments. So there are class impediments, there are safety and security questions, there's attitudes, cultures, and so on that need to be addressed. But I think at the universities, I don't think that we have a problem with the recruitment of women. I think there's still some faculties where women are not, um, have not achieved the same numbers as men. But even in those faculties, I'm here thinking of traditional male, quote-unquote, male faculties like science, engineering, and so on, you really see a, an, an increase in the number of women who are, you know, entering those professions and getting those degrees. The question is, what's the advancement? And here I'm looking at uh, thinking about Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Yes. Um, I mean, she focuses on a particular um, demographic. Um, but I think that, that, that the, the numbers are there. The question is, how do women advance and really make a difference? And then the second question is, do women make a difference in those professions? I mean, this is a question that we ask about the legal profession. Uh, do women judges make a difference? Uh, do women make a difference when they are in places where they could actually influence policy and influence <laughs> attitudes? Well, one of the things, a question on, on do women make a difference, I know that there's a couple of surveys that have come out of, of Credit Suisse in terms of the composition of women on boards, and they found that corporates who've got greater diversity, including women, including people from different races, different backgrounds, tend to perform financially more positively than companies that don't. So it does go for the diversity argument. And something else that I've been pondering, and, and you've just given me some of your stats from saying that there are only three women when you were enrolled in your class of approximately 67 students, and now there are a greater proportion of women coming into the schools, that if there isn't some kind of, of latent effect that we're building up these populations of educated young women, that now we have to tip the scale, as it were, in terms of the professional side of getting them to snowball into organizations because those numbers just don't seem to be changing. Yeah, I think those numbers is hard. And I think, um, let me talk about the legal profession, for example. I think that um, the, if you look at how um, uh, young professionals, legal professionals become partners, so there's a particular trajectory that people take. Um, and I think you could argue that, you know, the trajectory is there. If you do well, you should be able to make the partnership track and make partner. 
But I think that the very at the same time that uh, people are advancing in their careers, let's say in law firms, it coincides with uh, a sort of women's um, uh, preference for either raising a family or doing having a different kind of work environment. You hear a lot about the balance work, uh, um, uh, play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that um, one of the reasons, and, and, and this is, you know, let's assume that, that all things are, are equal. I think one of the reasons uh, uh, is that uh, the career path doesn't match uh, women's... Um, life path. Uh, yeah, their life path. So in, in, at universities, I think that many universities now, I know in the States, are actually taking, taking account, uh, taking into account women's life paths, when they think about tenure and promotion and so on. Now, I think that um, I don't know enough and I haven't studied this, but I imagine that corporations and law firms or so on are doing the same um, because we have the situation in which women come in in great numbers. And the question is if they are excellent, which I have no doubt they are, um, firms are then looking at ways to um, ensure that they are retained. So I think retention practices um, in law firms now probably include a look at the life parts of women. Um, the second is, is that I think that globalization and technology has created the possibilities for greater flexibility uh, in terms of our work lives and how we structure our work days. Um, and I think that, that accrues to the benefit of women. More and more of that is happening, so I think you'll see uh, the advancement of women. Um, it will take some time, but I, I do believe that if these questions, these impediments are addressed, um, then we will uh, make some progress. Now, the elephant in the room is, is that sexism is so alive and well in South Africa. I mean, L.B. Sachs 20 years ago referred to patriarchy as the only truly non-racial institution in South Africa. I mean, I think that sexism and patriarchy is much part of our DNA. They are. And I'm constantly amazed. But the culprits are not just men. The culprits are women, too. So, you know, statements like boys will be boys, our expectations of men, we, um, you know, and then, and then the very, very harsh reality of violence against women in South Africa. I mean, that's the most extreme manifestation of real, really deeply entrenched sexist attitudes. So I do think that we need to to think um, uh, um, more to think more carefully and be more strident about eradicating um, sex, uh, sexism and patriarchy, and that is you know that affects everybody across all classes, ages, etc. Absolutely. And have you, given the work that you've done and things that you've been exposed to, are there any potential solutions to to resolve issues of, of patriarchy and sexism besides? trying to put out policies and have them implemented to sp and educated people? Well, a couple of things. I think that leaders, women leaders make a difference. I mean, I've raised the question before, but I do think women leaders make a difference in that, um, uh, firstly, we can, you know, if we are committed to um, broadly defined a feminist project or we can say we define, we committed to equality and social justice, then we are in a position not just to direct policy, but to influence policy. So I have a zero-tolerance attitude towards sexism, and, you know, I am very straightforward about it. 
Um, so I think that um, you know we we have we have the capacity to do so, and we should. Then the second is you know this idea of role modeling, which I know is overused. But there are students who are comfortable with seeing a dean who is a woman, a deputy dean who is a woman, a um, you know head of department who is a woman. So I think it's just visible. So for example, when Barack Obama was president of the United States, you had young children who were born and who grew up with the idea that there was a black man who was a president. That's deeply ingrained in their consciousness and in their psyche. So it's the same where you see women leaders. Um, so I do think it make, can make a difference. Now, of course, if the structures are, stu are such that you have a hyper-masculinist uh, approach in your workplace and so on, then I think that's a problem because it doesn't matter if there's a woman or a man in the building, you know, the culture uh, resists any change. Um, and so uh, I think that the legal profession is quite a competitive profession. I think law schools are very, very competitive. And um, I think that we need to sort of think about that. But I'm also uncomfortable with kind of essentialist notions about women, that women care more, that women are more collaborative, all that, that sort of stuff. I don't think women genetically are programmed to this. I think that women's experiences um, make them more um, conscious and sensitive to this because I think our experiences of being excluded, of being disrespected, of being marginalized, makes us acutely aware of these issues in the same way that blacks are more acutely aware of racism than whites because they're at the receiving end of it. So you're, sort of, you're always kind of uh, walking a, a, a fine line between essentialist arguments about the sort of biological nature of women versus our experiences that make us really, really mm -hmm. more prone to want to change particular cultures and institutions because they discriminate not just against women, but they discriminate against they, you know, almost everybody because they also discriminate against men, even though it, 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 it accrues to the benefit of men. And I think different industries have got different expectations too. As you mentioned, uh, law is a very, very competitive space. So I think that depending on the industry, it also calls for different qualities of the individuals that operate in those sectors. Yes, yes. So that while you, for example, let's look at the, the legal space which is competitive. You know, competition is good. You compete against yourself. Of course, you've always got to compete in an ethical way. The, the rules have got to be fair, etc., etc. Um, but, you know, so they sprung up this notion that women are not competitive, that women do not, um, um, you know, women don't operate well in such a hyper-competitive environment. I think part of it is, is, you know, you can temper the hyper-competitiveness. You can ensure that the rules are fair, that the, 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 there's a level playing field, all of that. I think what women, what bedevils women, is that we grow, we grow up, you know, we, 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 we sugar and spice and all things nice. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be agreeable. We're supposed to be pleasant. And you see women subsuming themselves in personal relationships, um, maybe in parenting, the world operates expecting us to be agreeable and at our own expense. And men don't generally have that. So I think what you need to do is change it so that we all take control of who we are. So that, I, you know, a 10-year-old girl doesn't have to be agreeable if what she's experiencing doesn't agree with her. So she should be supported to say, no, I don't agree with this, and, and not be seen as, not a nice girl. Not somebody, you know, this nice girl thing I think really gets in the way of us being developing into fully fledged, autonomous, independent 
um, uh, individuals in the way that men are carried, encouraged to have opinions and, you know, and be strong. I mean, we, we now know, see the literature, you know, a woman leader, the adjectives to describe her is generally denigrating and insulting, and the so, same qualities are seen as very, uh, you know, flattering and, 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 and complimentary to men. So those double standards operate all the time. That's something I find very frustrating, that if you are projecting the same qualities, so men are, are perceived to be the boss, but women are perceived to be bossy. Women yeah. who are asserting themselves are seen to be aggressive, whereas if it had been a man, he is asserting himself and he's admired for these qualities. So the same qualities are, are being judged differently by different genders. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, the people who are doing the judging of both men and women. Yes, we've all got so these... around, yes, yes. ...framed stereotypes, which actually stereotypes are dangerous. Yep, yep. So breaking the stereotypes, I think, is the hardest challenge for um, for, women, for 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 all of us. I always say that it's so interesting that eradicating racism, hard as it may be, is so much easier than eradicating sexism because the people we love sometimes behave in sexist ways. Our relationships very often are tempered. Uh, with sexist attitudes and so on, and it's very, very difficult, and it's in the private spaces that sexism is reinforced, whereas racism generally is not reinforced in private spaces because black and white people, to a large extent, in a racist society, um, operate in different spheres. Um, so fighting sexism is very, very difficult uh, for women, and some of it, some of the sexism is obviously benign. This idea that men protect women, that's a benign notion. Um, and women think that they benefit. You know, there's also this idea, you know, of the sugar daddy, the man who can provide you if you don't have the resources with all kinds of resources. You know, that this is these are the cultural things that you need to eradicate if you really want to work towards equality. And the key is to give women access to resources so they don't have to depend on others to provide resources to them. That was Professor Penelope Andrews, who is the Dean of the Faculty of Law at the University of Cape Town. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Up next in our final segment is Margaret Hirsch who is the Chief Operating Officer of Hersh's Home Stores, which, together with her husband, Alan, she co-founded in 1979, 38 years ago. By 2012, the company had a turnover of over 1 billion rand. Today, it is a national footprint in South Africa as the leading independent chain of mega appliance and home furnishing stores with, at last count, 17 branches and concept stores. Additionally, Margaret Hirsch has received numerous business awards, such as the 2016 Top Businesswoman, the 2015 Most Influential Woman in Wholesale and Retail for the African Continent. She has been inducted into the Global Women Leaders Hall of Fame in 2014, to name a few of her accolades, and she is also known for her philanthropic work. Our conversation focuses on women in entrepreneurship. You mentioned one tip, don't take a loan. 
Have you yeah. got any other tips that you can share for our aspiring entrepreneurs? Well, I think the biggest thing that our battle with when working with entrepreneurs is they love to sleep. And it drives me insane because every time I look, what are we doing now? We're sleeping. What are we going to do in the weekend? I'm going to sleep. Now, should I tell you something? That I sleep on approximately, on a, if I'm a busy, a busy week, I sleep two hours a night. And if I'm a normal week, I sleep four hours a night. Now, this is astounding for most people, but if you, I tell people, I'm 66 years old. If I've slept eight hours a night like you do, I've been asleep for 22 years of my life. How successful would I be? And the answer is not as successful as I was because I've been working while other people are sleeping. So the first thing I say is, and you obviously can't go from having, you know, eight hours sleep, which you used to, down to four hours straight away, but you can wean yourself off sleeping a little bit at a time, or sleep a little bit less every night, but you've got to take that time to do something more um, better for you. So what I start people doing is I get up at four o'clock in the morning, and I get up and I have a drink of water, and I just get myself towards myself. And then I meditate, and I think meditating is very important. And how I equate meditating is, imagine how dirty you'd been if you hadn't washed your body since you were born. And, um, and then I say to people, if you haven't meditated, that's how dirty your mind is. It's full of all sorts of rubbish, and you've got to clean it out, and you clean it out by meditating. So um, I meditate and I clean my mind and I refresh my mind so I start the day fresh. And then I go to gym, so I do some exercise because a lot of people are very sedentary. They just come and they sit all day and they sit in their motor car and they sit at night on television and lie in bed. They don't do anything. So I think it's very important to get that balance in it to do something. And then I go to work and I work exceptionally hard. I'm at my desk at 7 o'clock every morning and it's approximately 7 o'clock at night. And then I go home, I shower and change, and then I work with my suppliers. So I do have a social life because my suppliers, um, I, I work with them on, the, on a social basis so that they, I get to know them, they get to know me. And then when I come home at 10 o'clock, I do my emails from about 10 o'clock until just after midnight, and I still study. I'm one of the few people you know who's got a student card and a pensioner's card. So I'm still studying, and I'm at business school now, and studying all the new modern techniques for modern business, because uh, robotics is the new industry that we're going into. So I'm studying robotics so that I can get my business into the next um, millennium. I think those are fantastic insights, and I'm just going to repeat them quickly. So we have got one, don't take a loan, because that's one thing you're going to be paying off as you start your business. With interest. With interest. <laughs> <laughs> Two, Cut down on the sleeping hours because every second counts. And as an entrepreneur, you've got to be hungry. You've got to be out there working in the time that other people are sleeping. Thirdly, being conscious about taking care of your brain, meditation, clean the gunk out. Fourthly, physical activity because we lead very sedentary lives and get out there, get energized, and get the body working in preparation for the day. Fifth, buckle down for some hard work, seven to seven. Mm-hmm. After that, don't forget the socializing component to feed the spirit and get engaging with the suppliers that you do. And lastly, to end the day, it's about studying, that uh, lifelong learning should be a philosophy that is embraced because our world is changing 24-7. Mm-hmm. Great tips. Lastly, as we close out the conversation, can you please share a few words of inspiration which you'd like to pass on to girls, young women, or even older women in the continent who are listening to us? 
Well, I think as a woman today, you, they always say if you educate a woman, you educate the whole family. So it's very, very important for us to be educated, number one. But number two, you don't have to leave everything just to be educated. I honestly believe that when you finish school, you should start working and you should start uh, teaching yourself in, in the evening. And one of the ladies who was my businesswoman of the year in KZN, Vina Govender, she was um, widowed when her little boy was four and she didn't have any qualifications. She went on to become a CA. And while she worked, she didn't like being a CA. She now is an engineer, and she teaches women to be engineers. So, you know, you can work, and you can study, and you can improve yourself. And life is about continuous, never-ending improvement. And that's what we must aim at. If every one of us does well, our whole country will do well. And as a Mother Teresa said, if we all sweep our own doorsteps, the whole world will be clean. And that's what we've got to work. Each one of us has to put in as much as we possibly can, and together we'll make this country great. You have been listening to Humanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we would like to wish you a very happy new year.